Hey, Collabris. I'm Ben Leroy. And I'm Jason Buckholtz. And you're listening to Collabricast. How you doing, Jay? I've been better. With a little bit of trepidation. (laughs) I got a little, I got a little uninvited visitor this week by the name of the coronavirus. So um, I've been dealing with that. First popped up and I I, I don't know. My son is the one who first tested positive and then followed shortly thereafter by me. Um, So yeah, it's been uh, not the most fun 48 hours, but uh, feeling better today, a little bit of a, a stuffy nose, a congestion, and so if my voice sounds like I've got COVID, it's because I have COVID. Were there any changes to your ability to taste anything? No, not yet. Okay, not yet. Although I did speak to a friend who had it a month or so ago, and she said that that didn't hit her until about day three. So there's still time. Oh, so- great. <laughs> so I'm eating things. I got a it's garbage day, hence the the sounds out there. Um, yeah, we'll see. So far, so good. Is this Maybe. your first bout? It is. Well, you did an admirable job making it. Uh, two years, two two plus years. Yeah, although I'm not convinced that I never had it i think it i could have at some point as i'm sure many people have and just never realized it i still think i had it in november of 2019 before it was even really a thing but i'll never know you've always been ahead of the curve though yeah (laughs) what's that a global pandemic yeah (laughs) i want to be a beta tester for that one i had that before it was cool i had that i had that before everybody knew about it (laughs) yeah uh, so folks, collaborators out there, we're going to have an episode today that's not part of our How to Write a Novel series, just so we can kind of take care of some house cleaning, but also to let Mr. Buckholtz's brain get a little bit of catch up and relaxation. I wanted to uh, thank everyone who participated again in the query letter review. We had a couple of people who Maybe didn't make the deadline, but I was very much in the spirit of doing it and loved it. So um, I think we're done with that now completely for the time being. But again, thank you to everyone who participated. It was really cool for me to be able to do it and not have to do it in a way that also would end up with me having to take the book to an editorial meeting and sell it to marketing and editorial staff and publicity is the best of my world in that I got to work with authors, help them identify their story, help them figure that out. And then I can walk away patting them on the back and say, good luck out there, champ. Like, I don't, I don't need to do, do anything further than that. And we're going to be running another offer in September. So get your calendars ready. 
and more details will be forthcoming. But basically what you need to know is that if you go out and volunteer in your community, that we will be doing manuscript evaluations for the first 5, 10, 25 pages of your book based on how many hours you volunteer in your community. There aren't really any restrictions on where you go to volunteer. We're not trying to send you in any direction. Whatever cause means something to you, wherever you can get in a shift. So if it's at a food bank, if it's at a retirement home, if it's working with veterans, if it's working with animals, if it's working... Uh, with the environment, any of those are acceptable. We just encourage you to be engaged in your community and want to support you in those efforts. So stay tuned for that. It's an opportunity to have Jason or myself do some reading and discussing of your manuscript opening with you. All right, uh, Mr. Buckholz, you wanted uh grab bag item number one um i'm gonna go ahead and let you reach a hand into the grab bag and see what comes out all righty well we have had a couple of comments on our youtube version of the podcast recently where where viewers have commented and either asked directly or alluded to the importance of following prevailing trends when writing, when submitting. How important is it to be within the zeitgeist of what is going on in the publishing world if you're going to be looking for an agent or a book deal? Um, there are, we get trends, things come and go. I think one of the questions was, how do how do publishers identify those? How do they spot those coming? How do they change what they're doing to try to capture those? And the other one was more from a writer's standpoint and, and had more to do with the, it's like, good luck to you if you're not a part of what's going on in, in the current trend. So Ben, you were a publisher for years and years. So you have some thoughts about this. Yeah. And it's a question that comes up quite a bit because people do see a runaway success. I'm kind of dating myself in the industry, but in my earlier days, I got a million query letters for books that were essentially Da Vinci Code knockoffs because people saw how successful the Da Vinci Code was. And then they thought, well, if I just kind of have some spooky, mysterious thing that's got some religious background and maybe it's happening in a foreign location, that's going to appeal to people. And conceptually, it might, but your execution of it, if you haven't really been able to think through the deepness of these plot lines and you don't have the ability, as we've talked about in a previous episode, to write with authenticity about those worlds, and I don't just mean geographically where it's taking place, but within those societies, closed societies, it's, it's very easy for things to fall into cartoonish representation of, of things. And so people would ask because people wanted to capture the momentum of the Da Vinci Code or Fifty Shades of Grey or, you know, so many books. Twilight was, was a big thing. 
And my personal thought would be, unless you are able to skillfully write a novel that you might not be super interested in over the course of a couple of weeks or months, it's probably not worth chasing trends with the idea of piggybacking on the success of other books if this is not something that you would normally write otherwise or if this is not the project that's really calling to you. Because trends are fickle. People will show up today and clamor about how much they really want a Cabbage Patch doll. And then it's a Christmas or two later and that's not an issue. Or like Beanie Babies. Like people, I see, I, I watch this documentary and people like were buying Beanie Babies as an investment opportunity. And yeah, yeah I don't. Speaking of dating ourselves. I, yeah. I yeah. recall that. <laughs> and and, and the Cabbage Patch Kid craze. And, you know, people want to be ahead of the curve. But by the time you are seeing those sorts of successes, the curve is already past you. You're, you were a passive participant in it. So, so the news cycle on what's hot in the publishing industry versus the amount of time that it takes to write a quality novel aren't really going to match up. Right. And, and this is probably a crossroads, a fork in the road with a lot of people in the publishing industry. And for a long time, I, I was only aware of like one singular track of it. And so the existence of the other, when it showed up, I was like, well, that can't possibly be, but now I've come to accept that it is. And there are people who are writing with attention to the art, caring about the art. You and I have had this discussion before about a book takes as long as a book takes to write it, to understand it, to be able to execute it. There are also people who will say, you're thinking about it too much, Poindexter. I can knock out six books this year and develop an audience that wants a hit of this and they don't care how they're not looking for Pulitzer Prize material. They're looking for a story that entertains them. They're going to pay $2.99 for it, $3.99 for it. And then they're going to go on to some other book. And then when I have a new one, so I need to keep being in front of them. So there's this business cycle that, that churns really fast. And then there's an art cycle that has this different, weird, rotational gravitation. If you are writing and you feel called to be in this weird, artistic, gravitational thing, then trying to capture the momentum of a trend isn't for you. If you're someone who is able to easily adapt, and if Westerns are hip today and horror is hip tomorrow, and you can switch those horses and write something of a certain quality that will be appealing to readers of that genre who are obsessed with more and more content, go for it. It's not my, it's not my thing, but I mean, that, that is the question I think you get to is like, why are you writing? And I fundamentally acknowledge the existence of, but don't understand the rationale behind I'm going to write eight books in a year, or I'm going to write six books. A year. Hell, I'm going to write two books in a year. 
but I am as as has been discussed on this podcast before, I'm on year 10 of working on the novel that I'm working on. So I'm probably a, a way far out outlier as far as my patience and my commitment and obsession to getting things exactly right. I've also been lucky enough in life that what's going to happen is that I'm going to finish this book. And then like three of the major plot points in my book are going to be in the headline the day that an agent takes it into an editor's office to to try and sell it. And I'm I'm gonna be part of the the creation of the zeitgeist. I've already seen, you know, because you've read part of it, that professional wrestling in the early 80s in the in the Atlanta area plays a role in it. And now I just found out that there's a whole new series, a documentary series coming out about wrestling territories of the early 80s. And it's because there are a whole bunch of nerds like me who grew up on that and now must run documentary companies and have the money to produce these episodes because they're doing it. So I'm just trying to like ease my crash landing of 10 years of editorial stuff to hit it about the same time. I think that that's an important point is the difference is those the differences in pace and I so the manuscript that I'm working on now I I don't even remember exactly when I started working on it in earnest but there are characters and ideas in it that I can trace back to about 1995 so I'm I've done some other things in that <laughs> in that time as well but um yeah I, I i think that i'm i'm an outlier too but my interest is not just simply being able to hold up a book with my name on it and say yo i did this and i did this and i did this and i did this i want to write something that will affect people that will have an impact um, and again, like you, it's, I, I, there are other motives. There, there are other motives to write and there are other places to go to get support for those other sorts of motives. Um, I think that, that like you, I'm, I'm consider myself, or at least I aspire to be more a part of that you know, there's, there's Ikea furniture and then there's, there's craft, you know, homemade craft hardwood furniture. And I, I consider myself to be much more aligned with the, with the guy in his garage who is, you know, spending three weeks to make a desk, um, than, than the Ikea model. Yeah. And it's okay to acknowledge that, both schools exist and both schools have different rules and expectations. I, I would just to sort of tie up the, should you write for a trend? I would just say, you're going to write a book. And if the trend is passed you by and you recognize how many hours you've spent and you're looking at what you've written, are you good with that? How do you feel about that? Like if the book never gets, like even with the book that I'm working on right now, if it never gets published, 
it has been instrumental in developing my brain, my thought process, my views of the world. It has been therapy for me to write while it's not indulgently therapeutic. I am okay with what I've gotten from this process. I'm okay with the insights that it has given me. And so if it doesn't sell, I mean, obviously I want it to sell. Obviously I would like it to be wildly successful, but if those things don't happen, I'm going to be okay. I'm not going to feel like I've wasted my time or my life or my art. I think it would be worth also pointing to another, another factor here. And that's the, the timeline that comes from publishers themselves when an unwritten manuscript is sold. Someone goes and sells a proposal. You know, I see these things online. It's like, hey, I can help you write a book in 30 days. We can write a book in six weeks, whatever it is. When a nonfiction author sells a proposal, sells a manuscript via a proposal, the publisher does not come back and say, great, we love it. Why don't you send us the full manuscript in a month or six weeks from now? It's a much bigger chunk of time because they know that's how long it takes to do a good job. Well, and with fiction, a lot of it, unless you are a known quantity, you're not even going to really get a book deal for a proposal on a novel, it's just if you have a, a publishing history, you could. But to your point, I was just also remembering when I sold Tyrus to FNW Media back in 2011. In my discussions with some of the management at FNW Media who were not familiar with novels as a publishing thing. I was the first fiction imprint that they acquired. They were saying things like, tell authors to use Google keywords to figure out what to write about. And I thought, you so fundamentally misunderstand everything going on here with this process about why writers write, but also you've got a technology that you don't understand, but that your competitors are using and telling you like, this is critical and you don't want to feel like you are behind the curve or that you're missing out. And so you throw around jargon, like have, people write novels based on Google keywords, which doesn't make any sense. It allows people to feel like they're smart and using technology. And there's a almost zero chance that the gentleman who suggested to me that I suggest to authors to use Google keywords is listening to this podcast. But <laughs> sir, if you are, of all of the dumb ideas I've ever heard in my whole life, that one still that's like fighting for first place, especially in matters of publishing and writing. Well, he's looking forward to all those Mar-a-Lago novels. Yeah. Yeah. The flood. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Was there another component to the YouTube comment question? Oh yes, there was, there was the, uh, there was another comment that came in that basically was saying, if you are writing about something that isn't 
the hip thing right now, good luck. You're not going to get any attention and uh, you're not going to get published. And that is a hugely cynical response and one that I disagree with. Like they were talking about, like, if you're not a photogenic young woman, you're not going to get published. Like that, that's a weird flex, but that's also just not true. Like uh, there are plenty of people who get published that are not photogenic young women. Are there certain types of books that may be getting more attention right now as the industry is trying to better its representation in storytelling and authorship? Yeah, that, that might be happening. There are course corrections that happen. And does that, um, does that have any negative effects on someone who's written a great novel that doesn't fit into that? I don't think it does. I, I, I don't. I, do, I certainly don't think it has any sort of unfair conspiratorial bias behind it. I think that good work will always find, I think the great work will always find a home. Good work, good work might be more of a, of a rolling the dice, but that's because there's a lot of good work. Like, that's why I think it's important to push to be exceptional. But the idea that unless you are, you know, one of like 10 different qualifiers that that comment brought out, you're not going to get published. That's just not true. That's, that's a way to set yourself up to feel like it's not my fault that they don't understand my genius. I think that in order to achieve success, I mean, one can always lament and, and play the game of like, well, I'm not this or I'm not that, like you said, but I, I think that the goal really just needs to be to write the absolute best novel that you can. And there are any of a number of ways to go about doing that. And you just got to, you just got to do them. Yeah. And you're not going to change who you are. You're not going to change. And there are biases, you know, there are, you know, we, we are biased human beings, the structures that we build, the businesses that we build have inherent bias, but lamenting those is a energy drain. Absolutely. I mean, there are certainly cases. I don't mean to, I may be painting with a little too broad of a brush. Um, certainly there is lots of important, I, I don't want anyone to misinterpret what I'm saying. There's lots of important work that needs to be done to bring about equality, to try to take some of the bias out of many of these systems. There's, you know, we talk about policing, we talk about, uh, about racial inequality and all these things. I'm not saying to just throw up your hands and just say, well, I can't do anything about it. I'm talking very specifically about about the arts and about about writing and you just have to go and write the best book that you can and then and do all the things because it's going to happen for somebody like you said people get published there's going to be I don't even know how many new publishing deals announced tomorrow you just need to people there it's it's going to happen for people yeah and I let me uh, take that as an opportunity to pivot 
and just kind of deal with some current publishing industry goss gossip that's coming across the old social medias um, this week and that is kind of related to this discussion. There is, and I've been debating about whether or not to actually name the publisher during this episode, but I'm, I'm not going to do that. There is a small, what I gathered to be a micro press that has engaged in behavior that is not really cool behavior and is um, set up some red flags. Some authors got disappointed, had some bad experiences. And in the complaint against the publisher, there are a lot of details that are given that should be immediate red flags. And so I, I know that people want to be published. I know that there's this desperation to be published, to see your book with a cover, to see all of that. And I know that it's easy enough to look with the right blinders on and say, yeah, this publishing company seems legit because you want it to be legit. You want to believe that this is the launching of your literary career. But one of the red flags that I saw was that this particular micro press was bragging about having acquired, I don't know, 10 books, 15 books in a very short span of time. And I know from personal experience, I have built two publishing companies from the ground up I have taken out loans with local businessmen, not had health insurance, not had a paycheck to build publishing companies. I know the resources that it takes to build something, to be able to get a foothold in a way that you can sell enough books to have a meaningful ongoing operation. And I know that there would be whole years, even while I was like, deep into year three or four of running a publishing company, that the idea of acquiring 10 or 15 books in a year was a large amount. And those would be staggered over a 24-month period as far as when they were coming out. So the idea that a small, I'm going to guess, undercapitalized um, and uh, under-resourced publishing company is going to disappoint people. So you're on your quest to get published. You're hearing this idea that like, if you're not, if you don't fit any of these criteria, you're not going to get published. You're not writing to a trend. You're not going to get published. And so here comes somebody who says, hey, we want to publish your book. And you feel like you've won some lottery and avoided all of these obstacles. It's very possible that you didn't avoid any obstacles and that this person will also be an obstacle. The truth is getting published, getting published traditionally and published well, even grading on a curve is a difficult but attainable proposition. You just have to put in the work and have some good luck. And also, again, just be happy with the process of writing and creating as much as I can just tell you to do that. Be happy with the process of writing and creating. There does need to be some real inherent joy and value to it because I, you know, every now and then I'll have a conversation with someone and they're, 
They want to know what the return on their investment is going to be, or they want to know how soon they're going to be able to start making revenue. And I just say, I think you got the wrong number. <laughs> this, is, this is not a get rich quick scheme. No. Um, if you look at all of the hours that everybody, all aspiring writers have spent writing and, and compare that against all of the dollars that have been made by all of the books, it's, it's, you know, you should go learn realty or something. Or just buy lottery tickets. I mean, yeah. what, whatever. Yeah. Some, something, something else. Um, but yeah, this is not, so there has to be, there are many different motivations to write and you're only going to get to the finish line if you have multiple of those going for you you can't just be saying well this is just this is what i'm going to do as a money man i you know some people do it again every time we issue an aphorism like this there's someone out there who was you know there's some cynical writer who's just like well i just you know the six book a year guy i write a book every two months and I put it out on Kindle and then I get my checks rolling in from Amazon and like, okay, you, 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 you go for it. Yeah. Um, even that though is not easy. I don't imagine that's really much fun. <laughs> and I think that I'd be nervous that as soon as like the market shifted a little bit and I couldn't keep up, or if I had a dud and fell out of favor, like you are very much at the whim of, of all of those people and what sort of algorithm malarkey is going on. You and I have been trying to figure out just how different algorithms work. And I'm not, I'm not smart enough to understand it. I was, I, I feel like it's getting close to the social media model of business at that point. And I found myself yesterday so i just sat on my couch all day yesterday feeling sorry for myself with this virus and just doom scrolling through every platform that i have on my phone and found myself wondering like what what what's gonna happen what happens to these social media like this is you talk about 15 minutes of fame there are going to be so many people who have had their 15 minutes and then what 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 becomes of them when their 15 minutes is over you know when this is all that you've done is you know where's the i wonder what the longevity is like i wonder what the impact is i wonder how where the sustainability is in terms of your contributions to you know and it must be it, it, you you get used to all of that attention and the your brain starts running on the dopamine and yeah, the all dopamine. serotonin of all the of all the the likes and the adulation and that's it's it's what happens when that dries up you know where does that loop where does that leave and we've got a whole generation of of famous people now who are and i think that there's you know i'm not knocking social media i just admitted to spending all day yesterday pretty much just glued to it because i couldn't really do much else that was about all my brain could handle i didn't feel good afterwards i'm not recommending that as a as a healing modality for covid but um i you know and i think there are a lot of ways in which it has really been a tremendous equalizer in terms of putting the ability to create content into the hands of the masses and to 
get people an audience where it, it's taken a lot of the gatekeepers and the middlemen out of the entertainment industry. But I think it has also set us up for some long-term effects that, that we're not really going to, to see or be aware of. And the short attention span, you know, I think that there will always be a place in society for those who are, are devoted and earnest in pursuing their craft and in, in putting things out there that will really speak to people on an emotional level. Agree. So, And for an additional dopamine hit, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please feel free to rate, review, give it some stars, give it some words, wherever you get your podcast. Uh, we're told that this is what helps get the word out to people. And we want to help get the word out to people. We are also on the Instagram, the Twitter, the TikTok, the LinkedIn. We're doing all the interneting. And uh, I want, we want our dopamine too. Yeah. I got, <laughs> I got a serious dopamine addiction. Um, I would like to thank you, Jay. I know that it has been a, a bit rough for the last 48 hours. So I'm glad that we were able to do this podcast. We will be back next week, people, uh, with our continuing program of how to write a novel, breaking down all the elements. And we're getting pretty close to wrapping that all up and sending you out into the world and uh, hoping that you do well with it. Yeah, and we'll move on to some other topics. For story. For community. Collaboronavirus. This is a gray t-shirt day here. <laughs> <laughs>